Because for me, learning the bookkeeping and knowing what my numbers were, that's how I was able to set goals um, yeah. without knowing clearly what the numbers were. And I was someone who was terrified to look at my numbers. I would get my, you know, I would get my bank statements and throw them out because this was before I started my business. You know, this was in graduate school. And I just threw them out because I, didn't want to, I was terrified because I would make, I made up such meaning of what they meant instead of once I started looking and just seeing what the number was, even if it got low, you know, my, then you can take action because you're informed. Yes. Yes. My anxiety went down so much. It was very clear what the numbers were. And then, you know, I started learning how to work with the numbers and befriend them and realize what did I, you know, how much did I actually want to make and what did I need each month and what did I want each month and, and to start create, you know, business models and price points out of, you know, and offerings out of that. So I think as creative entrepreneurs, we really need to befriend our numbers and learn our bookkeeping. And some of my high earners, they just want to pass it on and they're not looking at their numbers or they're still overspending or they're not saving. And so I, I do need my creative entrepreneur women to slow down a bit. And yes, there's a learning curve, but I want you to learn the bookkeeping and it's not forever, but it's incredibly empowering and it's your numbers and it's your business and you're directing all of it. Welcome to the Lifestyle Edit Podcast, a show about creative female entrepreneurs and the businesses they've built. I'm your host, the Lifestyle Edit founder, Naomi Ndudu, and each week I deep dive with a female founder on topics like business models and revenue streams, marketing and branding, building a team and scaling, and how they are managing to cultivate a life and business they love, and all on their own terms. Our goal each week is to take you on a narrative journey of the opportunities and challenges in business right now and offer insights you can immediately apply in growing or starting your business. Barry, welcome to the Lifestyle Edit Podcast. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here today. I came across your blog, first of all. I was on your um, email list and then read your book last year absolutely fell in love with it. You articulated so much of the things that I was thinking about um, and just things that I felt intuitively, but you just articulated it beautifully. So I've been so excited about having you on the show. But before we go into kind of the nuts and bolts of your work and the way that you're kind of serving your clients and your audience, I'd love if you could take me back and just give us a bit of context about your professional journey and what's kind of been the, the journey up to this point? Sure. So I am heading into my 50th birthday. It's, you know, I'm within seven months. So there, that's where I'm at right now. And I began in my early 20s where I really had no idea yet what my work, my career, um, I was still pretty confused after my undergrad. But if I go back even further, I grew up dancing. And so um, you didn't grow up in the States, but there was a dance show called um, Solid Gold Dancers. And uh, are you familiar with that at all? No. I, I wanted to be a solid gold dancer. So that was, that was my first dream. Then as a young girl, I wanted to be a businesswoman. And I didn't know what kind of businesswoman, but my father was in real estate. And I wanted, you know, we're similar in some ways, we're different in many other ways. But so that was number two. Number three was as a teenager, I asked if I could go to therapy. Um, which was unusual, you know, for a 16, 17 year old, but I wanted to understand myself better. Okay. So all of those three things came together in my early twenties and I was living in Israel. Can you still hear me? I can hear you perfectly. Okay, great. Um, Something shifted on my computer. So I was living in Israel for a year after college. And one day while I was jogging on the kibbutz, I realized that I wanted to integrate all of my dance training um, with all of my psychotherapy interest. And I put them together and I thought I made up the field of dance therapy and somatic psychology. <laughs> and I didn't make up anything, but when I got to Jerusalem, that's when I learned that there were graduate programs in somatic psychology. And that's when I realized it was time to come back to the States to begin graduate school in Boulder, Colorado, and to train to be a therapist. And I spent that decade in my 20s 
um, working in the mental health field, working in hospice, leading authentic movement groups. And I really thought I would be working with couples around intimacy. And I thought I'd be working on the topics of body and food and intimacy and death and grief. That's what I thought my work would be. And when my student loan came due in my late 20s, that's when I just, uh, you know, I had an epiphany. I flipped out. I freaked out. I got very scared. I, I, I considered traveling the world and never coming back and paying my student loan. And, you know, I like to present myself with many options. And I realized in that moment that I was going to take on this topic theme of money the same way I had taken on every other big topic in my life. I wasn't going to run away from it. I was going to face it. And if I was going to have a relationship with money, then I needed to bring in all of the other qualities that I was living in my life and that were so important to me. So creativity and playfulness and deeper meaning and sacredness. And if I was going to approach money, it had to include the practical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual. And I wound up you know, learning everything I could about money. I started with bookkeeping. I wound up having a bookkeeping business for therapists and coaches and artists and contractors. And then pretty soon at, you know, within a few years, I learned more about people by doing their bookkeeping than if I had started my own psychotherapy practice at the time. You know, they were yeah. between 28 and 32 it was key years for me to be doing other people's bookkeeping to understand numbers, cash flow, accounting, creative entrepreneurship. And then at the age of 32, I decided it was time to put it all together into what my husband named as financial therapy. And I was one of the very first people to use that term at the time. And my husband has always been my namer. And um, I started creating a methodology and I would teach it in tiny little groups of 10 people over and over and over. And then it grew to 20 person groups and then 50. And now this year in our year long program, we have over 500 students. But I used to teach in weekend workshops, which I cannot believe, or six week formats or three months. And eventually I realized this work is a lifelong journey. There's so much to learn here. My community is 25 to 75 years old with folks across the world. And um, we need to learn this in baby steps. And so I created a whole framework called uh, the Art of Money Methodology, which integrates money healing, money practices, and money maps. And um, almost 18 years later, now I have the book, The Art of Money, A Life-Changing Guide to Financial Happiness and My Year-Long Community. And maybe a second book is on the horizon. Yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. Oh, it's that was one of the things that I really loved about your book and kind of going through and trying to action all of the different sections is that, yes, for many of us, it's we haven't really ever had a financial education. We're kind of with our parents, we then go off to college, we then get that bill, and we're kind of thrust into navigating this whole kind of our relationships with money at that stage in life. And there could be so much um, shame when it comes to trying to learn those things in your adult lives. So just let's just start there. Um, how can we first of all get past the shame to really start making strides in the right direction? Where are people kind of mentally when they first start working with you? Is there any kind of commonalities with the resistance with money? Well, number one, it's so important to honor that for most of us, we did not, as you said, receive a financial education. So financial literacy was not part of our education or we got parts and pieces of it, right? Emotional literacy side by side with financial literacy was also not part of our education. So for me, those are connected and it's what I teach. And when people come also for folks to know, one, we did not receive a financial education and that most of us do come with some level of shame. And this could be my high earners. It could be my low under earners. It could, people, it could be people from all different economic backgrounds or income levels now or ethnicities or lineage. So many of us do when we realized, wow, this was a huge missing piece 
it's time. And sometimes we get a huge wake-up call. Sometimes we get smaller little bite-sized wake-up calls along the way. But shame is just one of the very first experiences we have. And it just simply means, I don't know how to do this. I'm not doing this right. Something's wrong with me. Everyone else learned how to do this except for me. I'm stupid and on and on, right? I'm not okay. And so shame is here, you know, at the beginning. And just to know that, to know you're not alone. When I realized, you know, that I did not receive a financial education and that it was left out of my graduate program when we were training to become therapists, like we didn't even study the topic. Wow. Which is insane to me. How was I supposed to work with couples, right? If, if on the surface money is the number one reason people get divorced and it's really not money it's about money and it's not about money it's about the deeper issues right or that we don't know how to communicate well around money or that we weren't given you know a financial education or emotional education and so on so just to just to come back and know that oh i was going to say that i you know i thought i was the only one <laughs> i thought i was the only one and i think that's also part of the shame we think we're the only one that doesn't know this. And so it's just the beginning. It's the beginning. Um, and we need to move through that. And the very first tool that I give, I love the numbers. I love learning about cash flow. I love learning about, you know, I love learning a bookkeeping system. You know, as a <laughs> dancer, um, therapist, it really surprised me um, how much I one, that I could even do it, you know, that I could even learn QuickBooks and fall in love with it and love how organized it was and realize I could name all the, rename all the categories to make them more values-based. We can talk about that, right? But beginning is just realizing there is money shame. And so I do love all the numbers and the planning and learning the bookkeeping systems and all of that. But the very first tool that I give, which is the antidote to money shame, is the body check-in. And it has a whole chapter in the book, as you saw, and it's really just stopping and pausing. It could be 30 seconds. It could be a full minute. And it's asking yourself to stop and pause and just notice what's going on physically, what's going on sensation-wise, what set of feelings are coming up, because all the same set of feelings that come up in any other big area of life come up around money, from anger to rage that you have to even deal with this part of life, to anxiety and fear, to just sadness that no one's taking care of your needs and they weren't met as a child and you're still, you know, trying to get certain needs met, to just falling asleep because this is so boring or checking out because you think you can't do it or not wanting, you know, and uh, the, the set of emotions that come up and there's a full spectrum and it's, you know, the, all of them to even excitement and hope and possibility. There's the full spectrum. And so just checking in on an emotional level and what's going on. And then checking in with your breathing, how deep, how shallow, where it is. And this may seem like, what's the purpose of this body check-in? But for me, this is a practice that I invite people to do in all the daily money interactions. So when you're going to go online to look at your numbers and balances, when you're going to go have a money conversation, before the money conversation, in the middle, in the heat of the moment, um, with your spouse, with your child, with your parents, with your clients. It could be after as a debriefing. So for me, as I said, this is the antidote to money shame. And it's not like you just do a body check-in once and you're done for all. This is an ongoing journey. It's a practice. It's helping you bring more awareness to your money story your money patterns. We all have strengths around money. We all have challenges and we all had things that we had to overcome. So I want you to slow down a bit and to begin to understand what is your money story, patterns, habits, what's working, what's not. And the body check-in is that little practice that happens daily, many, many moments throughout the day. And yeah, first moment, you may not feel calm you may feel fight, flight, or freeze. You may be freaking out, but it's a practice. After a while, you will learn how to feel your feelings, work with your feelings, and eventually be able to calm yourself down. And all of these daily money, money interactions, with move, which moves the shame to the side, which actually helps you move your emotions to the side a bit, where then you can offer a tea 
you know, or chocolate, or you're more in the observer mode and you're having the relationship here. Yeah. Totally. Because that was the thing I think for me anyway, I knew that I needed to understand this stuff. I run a business, but when you're not dealing with the underlying issues as to why you're feeling resistance, you can retain as much information as possible, but implementation becomes an issue. And I remember when I was reading in the book all about the body check-in, I think it was for me, it was the first time that I was able to start diving deeper. And, you know, like you said, it was, it was that ickiness. It was like, oh, all this junk is coming up. And I use a personal example. I have always been fine with investing in other people, but it would take me so much to, to invest in myself every time I would go and purchase something. And it was never about whether I could afford it or not, but there was this worthiness issue that kept coming up. I kept getting that resistance. Like, how can I do that? Um, and again, I could have completely pushed that to the side, but it was like, you were saying, what is my body telling me? Why am I feeling so much tension? Why am I being triggered by this? How can I go deeper? And it's only when I started sitting with some of those questions that I've been able to move past it. Yes. Yes. And there's so much out there about just ignore the emotions or ignore your body override it. And yes, I don't want to hang out there forever, but we're missing a lot of really important information that is running the show, you know? And so let's have a friendship with our body, our emotions. Let's understand what set of emotions or concoction comes up and what old stories, you know, come up as well. If we just keep pushing it to the side, it's just going to keep biting us in the butt or coming out in awkward or not helpful or unhealthy ways. Right. So, so you use the term money story and you explore it a lot in the book. Could you just explain what a money story is? Yes. So money story is wherever you're at right now, what's made up your habits and your patterns and your strengths and your challenges and what's working and what's not around how you earn and spend and save and give and invest and all those areas of money, right? So what is your story? What did you learn as you were growing up that helped shape you, um, both from your family of origin, both from your history? You know, some people go back to their grandparents. Where did their grandparents live? Where did they, my grandparents all escaped from what was Russia? Now it's Ukraine or Belarus or Lithuania. It's many different names now in many different countries, but that had an impact on their money story and then my money story right and so money story is 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 understanding both our history family of origin even religion or spirituality what were we raised in and certainly our lineage and ethnicity and how all of that had a positive impact um challenging impact you know what what is our stories positive and negative and what have we had to overcome and again, no matter what income level, what mat, no matter what economic class, no matter what background, we all have stories. And it's, it's really important to understand and become more intimate and bring more awareness, which leads to understanding, which leads to what do we want to change? What's working? What do we want to keep and what needs to change? And so there's lots of different exercises in my book and my methodology and my year-long program where I'm helping people understand what is their money story today and how is it shaped from the past, from mom, from dad, from grandparents, whoever was raising you? And what did you learn from them? And what can you honor? Because sometimes we go back to the past and we get mad. We weren't given a financial education, but they weren't either, most likely. And so at some point in our understanding, there certainly needs to be forgiveness and compassion for, at first we'll get mad and that's okay. And then we can quickly understand that, oh, they also did not receive an education, a financial education, or this is what they learned or these were the circumstances. And so, of course, they made those decisions, passed them on, and then either I took them on or I rebelled against them or I ignored them and so on. So it's really understanding just and getting clarity on, on all the different parts that have made up your current story and patterns and habits and really seeing clearly what's working and what's not. 
I realized how my money stories were impacting the way that I dealt with money in my business, which is only logical. It's going to completely transfer. Are there any stories that you see typically that come up with your kind of entrepreneurial clients? So, you know, I work with a lot of women. I work with a lot of couples and I work with a lot of creative entrepreneurs. Um, here, let's, let me think about this for a moment. I was interviewed the other day. This will be one story and then I can tell another. Um, I was interviewed the other day by a woman who very early on decided she wanted to become financially independent. Um, and so she started investing in real estate in her 20s. And that worked well for her. And one of the things that she's dealing with now is that she's still feeling anxious around money. And she thought she would get to a certain number and not feel anxiety anymore or have a certain amount of money in the bank and not feel anxiety anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we got to have a great interview and conversation about that and, and how to work with her emotions, which she was completely ignoring, right? So that that's a different kind of person because I'm a creative entrepreneur. So let's see, you know, a lot of us, um, I've seen a lot of women who work on income and earning and do that really well, but they're ignoring many other parts of their business. For example, many people hand over their bookkeeping uh, and just, they don't want to deal with it. So they just hand it over to a bookkeeper and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I, but I have found that I do want, I do want creative entrepreneurs, especially women to learn the bookkeeping at some point, because there's so much in there, um, to learn about cash flow and accounting and business. And if you hand it over to a bookkeeper, you're just relinquishing your say, your control, it's your money, it's your business, you know, it's your vision and dream. So, well, I would just say, learn the bookkeeping first. You can do it for six months and then pass it on, but at least you know where to go for the reports and what a profit and loss is. And you can oversee the bookkeeper, which is important because there are stories of bookkeepers not handling things well, you know, Um, and it's a big deal to trust a bookkeeper. So I want you to feel empowered first, right? And understand how to navigate a bookkeeping system and understand your cash flow. Because for me, learning the bookkeeping and knowing what my numbers were, that's how I was able to set goals um, yeah. without knowing clearly what the numbers were. And I was someone who was terrified to look at my numbers. I would get my, you know, I would get my bank statements and throw them out because this was before I started my business. You know, this was in graduate school. And I just threw them out because I, didn't want to, I was terrified because I would make I made up such meaning of what they meant instead of once I started looking and just seeing what the number was, even if it got low, you know, my... Then you can take action because you're informed. Yes. Yes. My anxiety went down so much. It was very clear what the numbers were. And then, you know, I started learning how to work with the numbers and befriend them and realize what did I, you know, how much did I actually want to make and what did I need each month and what did I want each month and, and to start create, you know, business models and price points out of, you know, and offerings out of that. So I think as creative entrepreneurs, we really need to befriend our numbers and learn our bookkeeping. And some of my high earners, they just want to pass it on and they're not looking at their numbers or they're still overspending or they're not saving. And so I, I do need my creative entrepreneur women to slow down a bit. And yes, there's a learning curve, but I want you to learn the bookkeeping and it's not forever, but it's incredibly empowering and it's your numbers and it's your business and you're directing all of it. So there's that. Um, there's also cash flow. as creative entrepreneurs, um, we need to learn about cash flow. We need to understand our patterns. Are we really low in the summer and December? Um, you know, it took me years of working on business models and everyone's different, but I wanted to find a business model that was sustainable and that integrated um, money, time, energy, plus a few other key priorities and values in my life around family and health. And so I, I have had five different business models and the one that I'm in now where I teach my year long program, it's not only my favorite teaching model because I can be the most generous with content, but it's also the, my favorite 
business model and it's the most sustainable and lucrative as well because of how many people I can serve with it. But I've had five different ones and many of them were good, you know, and some were, I was a one woman show, others I had a team, you know, uh, one year I, when I had my first child and only child right before my 40th birthday, um, all, all signs were just, you know, have the baby and just continue on, right? Like everyone does, like all my colleagues do. And I had such a complication in my labor that I realized, wow, everything needs to change. This is not a growth year like I've been having for seven years. I'm going to go against the grain and I'm going to let go of my entire team and simplify and go back to a one-woman show while I recover from my birth and while I, I start sleeping again and get healthy again. And it took a couple of years before we were sleeping and healthy. And then, you know, I was ready to go into growth mode again. But as entrepreneurs, we think every year is growing and earning more and saving more and giving more. And hopefully we have many years like that. But at the beginning, we're just trying to fine tune our business model so we can hit sustainability, meaning whatever that is for you. It could be a certain amount each month. It could be um, moving beyond a money ceiling that you've never hit before. It could be bringing in income for six months at a time. Or for me, eventually it was, I wanted to bring in money for a year, you know, and, and, and know how to do that. And so I'm hitting on, I'm sure there's more patterns with creative entrepreneurs, um, ignoring the emotions, not wanting to do the <laughs> thing, not even know how to ask for help. We think, you know, I had a lot of high earners who didn't even know that it was okay to have a financial support team and get a bookkeeper and accountant and financial coach or financial advisor on their team. We don't have to know everything and everyone has their specialties. And this is a little bit of the terrain of the creative entrepreneur and knowing cash flow well and, and really fine tuning and working on business models. Oh, I love that so much. And you did such a beautiful post on your website that kind of walked everybody through those different transitions of your business. And I love that. And it's this whole idea of honoring the season that you're in. And you had this part in the book that really stood out to me where I think you were talking to somebody and you were saying that this was your financial goal for the year. And it kind of, the question was put back on you, but this is what is required to do that. Are you willing to do that? Is that how you want to feel? Does that level of output and hours is that aligned with how you want to feel? And that was so powerful for me. And it's something now that I'm putting, asking a lot of my clients when they set these goals, like, how do you want to feel? This is what you're saying is your goal. Is it aligned? This is what is required. And that was a key moment. That was with my dear friend, Christopher Peck, who is a financial advisor, a socially responsible uh, you know, an advisor, socially responsible investment advisor that I've been collaborating with and uh, known, you know, since day one, 17 years ago, he was the very first colleague I met, the very first financial colleague. And so I took a class from him and it was about, it was about business. No, it wasn't about um, the oh, business plans. You know, I never created a business plan and I wasn't interested in doing the marketing part. All I wanted to do was the financial forecasting. <laughs> Cause I, I, that again, that was so unknown to me years ago and I could have never imagined that I would have fallen in love with it. So I presented a report of what I wanted for the next year. Now it was based on six years of experience at that time. So I'd had you know, six years of trying a few different things, of seeing my numbers, of tracking everything in QuickBooks. I had that data and I presented a financial forecast for the next year. And he said, yes. And, you know, I can't, is this going to be a good life for you? You know, meaning is the time, energy, money, all of that value equation going to work out? And I didn't know, you know, I mean, I had to see, you know, we, we can do these projections and then we need to live into it and actually see how much yeah. time, energy, and do we meet those numbers or do we not? And all of that. Yes. And asking yourself, you say this in the book about what does the, your dream life 
look like? How much does it actually cost? You know, is it for you? It was, you know, you really wanted to invest in the best produce that you can get your hands on. You wanted to live this certain way in this, in this place, actually putting a number on what is it, what does living your best life look like? And after reading that in the book, I did that to myself and I was so shocked at how, how much less it actually was than what I thought it was in my mind. Interesting. See, that's why I love the money map. And that's the third phase of the methodology. And that's where you sit down. It's a great exercise in in itself. And you create a three-tier map. The first tier is how do you define basic needs, bottom line, at this time? Not 10 years ago or what, you know, what is it now? Is it, how do you define it as a concept? And then what are the expenses that go with it? And when you add it up, what's the number? And then the second tier is comfortable lifestyle. And how do you define that? And then what gets put in there? Um, do you travel more? Do you give more? Is your debt paid down? What's going on? Right. And again, it's how you define it, not anyone else. And then adding that up and what's the total. And then the third tier I call ultimate And what do you add there? Now, some people call these needs, wants, desires. Um, I call them basic needs, bottom line, comfortable lifestyle, ultimate lifestyle. But I always like people to come up with their own names. And I want you just to do this as an exercise to see, you know, what lifestyle you're living. Again, what year, what phase of life are you in? If you look at my numbers from the first year we had our son or the first two years, we really, really simplified. And now we're at a different place. My son's going to be 10 years old. So it's really different. And I want people to sit down. What phase of life are they in? What's important to them now? Create these three-tier maps and just see which tier are you going for. I had a woman who could not, was having such trouble um, sitting down to do this exercise. Because for some people, the visioning third tier, the dreaming part, is really scary. Or we were taught very early on to not dream or you know what money doesn't grow on trees or you what do you think money grows on trees or like we're taught to we can't afford that or don't dream other people the only way they'll do these three tiers is if they can do the dreaming visioning part because that is what gets them so excited but this one woman she was having two different voices in her head one was her mother who does everything in luxury style and so she did a tier of what her mother would consider luxury, you know, and added that up. And then she did a tear for the voice in her head that was more of the activist living a very simple life and what that person thinks life should be, you know, and she did a tear for that. And then she was able to come up with her middle balanced. I can't remember. It was basically just what was right for her. But she had to do those other voices and create a tear for each of them and see how different the numbers were in that so that she could hear her own voice. So this, it's just an exercise. But from then we get to see um, what tier we're going for for the next six months or the next year or two years. And it just really changes everything because you may be surprised like you that the number the total amount is a lot lower than you thought it would be, or maybe it's higher or, you know, it changes and it's something to just keep checking in with. And we're all different. Even the three tiers, like my comfortable is different than yours. And someone's ultimate is different than someone's, you know, someone else's. And the numbers are so different based on what phase of life, what's really important to us, what we're going for. And that's, a really important piece of what I'm helping people see and honor and craft. A quick break from today's show to talk to you all about our sponsor, Breather. Breather offer dedicated workspace in great locations in cities like London, LA, New York, San Francisco, Toronto, all without the big monthly price tag. So think beautiful spaces minus membership fees or commitment. All you need to do is pay by the hour or by the day and reschedule or cancel for free for up to two hours before your reservation. For more information, just head to breather.com. How are you, what are some of the strategies that you give to couples? Because one of the things that often comes up with the women that I speak to who are at the start of their journey is that they know what they're working towards. They're kind of putting that hard work in. They've done the projections. They're really excited about their business. But on the flip side, they, they're, wrath, they're riddled with guilt because you know they've left their corporate job. Now they're relying on their husband's salary. So there's this tension. 
how, as we're doing this money work, can we deepen the relationship with our significant others and kind of bring them in to this kind of journey so that everybody is aligned? So I love doing work with couples because it's, I call it moving mountains. Um, it's not easy. And, you know, first we need to do our own, our own money work. We need to understand our money stories, become transparent with ourselves, you know, have a bookkeeping place, all the three phases, the money healing, money practices, money maps. We need to do that for ourselves first. And there's our personal finances and then there's our business finances. And then there's the couple finances, right? So there's many different houses. They all need attention. They all need honor. They all need time. Um, it's like, you know, I always say it's like a garden. We don't want to overwater it, but most of us tend to underwater it, you know, or ignore it, or we spend too much time in the business and ignore the personal, or we ignore the couple. Um, with the couple, again, so you got to do your own work first. That's so important because I've never seen two people come together that earn and spend and save and give and invest in the same way, even if they come from the same economic class background. Even, you know, it's just we all have different patterns of how we, our money stories were created, interpreted, all of that. So then you get two people who on the surface, you know, love, well, no, love each other dearly and came together because of attraction and chemistry and values. But then when we go to earn and spend and save and give and invest, we do that so differently. And usually couples polarize, you know. Uh, one person is the one who takes care of all the finances and pays attention and the other person wants to stick their head in the sand. Uh, you know, these are extremes, but I see it a lot. Or one person has a financial background, so they think they're the smarty pants or know how to do everything right and the other person feels stupid. You know, we, we these are just, there are many, many ways that we polarize. So with couples, I'd like to start almost at the beginning again. And I have them do money dates um, where you don't talk about the numbers first. Number one, you just tell stories. I call it story time. And you just share stories. I've had couples together for 10, 20, 30 years that learn new things about each other that they never knew, even though they've been married for years because they've never talked about some aspect of their money story or about growing up. And they're playing out all these patterns. You know, for a lot of couples, they have a great relationship or marriage but when it comes to the money that's where the tension or the fighting or the swearing you know happens and it's all normal and common so I, I start at the beginning and I teach you how to do money dates like first story time then second we talk about values and how you spend differently like my husband loves road bikes you know expensive gear and I'm horror I'm not horrified anymore but <laughs> You know, I was at the time, and he was a bit horrified with my self-care, with the acupuncture and the massage and the lotions, you know? And one, one year, or it was a few years, we added up my category of all that self-care and his expensive road bike. And after a few years, it was the same. It was almost identical, the amount that we each spent. But we had to have many conversations about why each of those are important to us, what they give us, right? And then step three is then who's on what? Who's doing the bookkeeping? When are we going to come together weekly or monthly for money dates to review the numbers? And then the fourth phase is getting on the same team, okay? That's a little bit about how to learn how to do new money dates with your partner so that you eventually can move from the fighting and the swearing and the screaming and crying to more matter of fact, more loving, more compassionate money conversations and money dates. But your question, though, is that um, it sounds like you have a lot of women that go from the corporate world to start their own businesses, right? Yeah. And that's so different um, than someone like me who never stepped foot in the corporate world. I spent a decade training as a therapist and then learned about, you know, creative entrepreneurism by myself. And women who work in the corporate world don't necessarily know how to run their own businesses. They have a learning curve, too, right? So... Um, there needs to be a lot of honest and open conversations because in a long relationship, a long marriage, most likely you're going to be switching who's making more, who's holding down the anchor. Uh, my husband and I have switched over 17 years where he had a few 
tech jobs where he was making more. And then my business started making more, you know, and that all had to be out in the open. How did we feel about it? Um, when was it my turn to go for the next dream? Meaning, you know, um, deciding to do my first book was very expensive because I have a co-writer and I've had a co-writer for seven years now, which is so incredible to me. I mean, I'm involved in every paragraph, you know, every sentence. Um, and, but that was going to be a big expense that we had to discuss and say, what's the risk level here? I can pay, let's say this much in cash. The rest is going on a 0% credit card. Um, you know, we know that we will be able to pay this amount off within a certain amount of time because I have my year long program, you know? Yeah. And so we, there was another point where my husband started a business and he needed a lot of video equipment at the beginning. And, you know, these were not easy, but they were real conversations. And I'll tell you a little story recently. It's a little reversed than the women, but you know, my husband has helped me every point along the way in my business. Um, but I'm the lead singer, so I get all the credit, you know, and, but he's come in, he's set up all my, um, online teaching platforms. He set up, he made, he built my website, you know, he comes in and does all of that stuff for me. And then he started his own business. So we were kind of reversed two years ago and he's more of a dreamer and at the two year mark of his business, you know, usually it takes, we know three to five years before we hit sustainable income, right? With any business. But I wanted my husband by year two to be <laughs> bringing in sustainable income because we've been doing this for 17 years, right? Yeah. And, and I just, and so by year two, I said, honey, you need to like open up your consulting slots again and make sure that this amount of money is coming in. I said, cash is queen. And I don't lead with making money, but you also have to, it's the, yeah. end. you know, it's cash. You have to be bringing in a certain amount to meet your basic needs or where we're at to, you know, to be working on savings at this point or, you know, and so um, I got to be, I got to be direct with him and, and he changed, he tweaked a few things and already had the community where he could bring in consulting clients pretty quickly, um, which is the bread and butter income and meet these monthly goals for a few months now. And that was really important to me instead of building something for long term, which takes longer. I wanted to see immediate cash flow, Right. Yeah. And so I think for these women, you know, they have their projections and then they got to see what's working and what's not. And sometimes you do need to have a part-time job or you need to keep part of that corporate job as you're building the business, you know, before you can let it go. I remember the moment I let go of all my bookkeeping clients to teach my groups, you know, solely for the next year. But I made sure that my group programs were in a place where they hit, I could tell if, you know, where there was a foundation in place and I could do that. So you have to talk about how much savings you have, um, you know, or 0% credit card. Are you comfortable doing that or not? And then you need to have clear plans and you need to make sure that they're actually working and not, and, or you need to adjust, you know, as you go. And that just all needs to be, be clear conversations with the spouse. But is it comfortable when one person's earning more or one person feels since they're earning more, they have final say on how everyone gets to spend? That's not true, right? That's where you have to have the money dates and you have to have open dialogue and conversation about all of this. You are so right. And there's a few things that just popped in my head as I was listening to you is, very often we say that our boundaries have been violated. So, you know, in this context, our financial boundaries, our partners done whatever, but that's why the dates are so important because very often we think that things have been violated when we haven't actually made it clear what are, what we're comfortable with and what we're uncomfortable with. Yes. So that's number one. Number two is for me anyway, really kind of swatting up and learning more about the numbers when I in the earlier days of my business, it actually empowered me. I had to get over the, oh, this is so daunting part first. But actually, I've been able to 
really hit those goals because I'm my, my eyes are open. I'm able to see, okay, if we're a little bit short in this, then this week I need to prioritize that time. Um, so it's, it, it, it comes kind of full circle to what we were talking about. The more we're communicating, the more we're keeping an eye on these things, we're actually able to kind of build momentum in an aligned way. Yes. And it doesn't mean that we well, we won't miss goals sometimes or we'll, we won't have cash flow dips or curveballs will happen. That all happens, right? Um, but the more that at the beginning or, you know, whenever we're finally ready, it's, it's time to learn QuickBooks. And, and I want to be clear that QuickBooks takes a good six months to a year to get comfortable with. And I needed someone to hold my hand. Um, and I always say with a box of tissue and with lots of <laughs> You know, my husband just one day taught himself Mint or, you know, iBank, which is now Banktivity. I needed someone to sit me down, hold my hand with like chocolate breaks and tissue breaks and, you know, crying. And so, but, but know that this takes time. There's a learning curve and that you can get support. You don't have to do this alone or think that you should know this all, you know, and getting a financial support team is so key. And yes, befriending the numbers and it will take some time is so key. And then, you know, sitting down with your partner and sharing some of the numbers. Yes, it's scary. Or at the beginning, you may not be hitting your marks, but um, just just keeping honest about it, keep getting more support. That was the biggest thing with my husband was that he kept thinking he could do everything on his own. And I said, you need to get a coach, you know? And so he's now going to my coach who I love, um, Tanya Geisler from Canada. And my husband is now going to her. So get support. Please get support as well. Can you talk me through the different types of support that are out there? And are there, for example, is there a particular stage of business that one would get that type of support? How do, you know, an accountant from a bookkeeper to a financial advisor, what's the main differences between them? So I, there's a whole chapter in my book about the different roles. And I was excited by this because years ago, I had no clue that they were different. I thought they were all the same, you know, and I didn't know what they did or what their specialties were. So there's a whole chapter in my book that defines what a bookkeeper does, what an accountant does, what a financial coach, financial therapist, financial planner. Okay. So simple version is that a bookkeeper can do all of your bookkeeping for you and track everything and then print out all your different reports, profit and loss. Um, some of my favorites are comparing one month to the next or this year compared to last year. Oh my God, I love that, you know, or this month compared to last year or these quarters, you know, I love the comparison reports. And so a bookkeeper can track everything for you. And my bookkeeper is on the East coast, um, in Boston. I live all the way out in the West coast, you know, so she works with a lot of online businesses, Jess Salzman, heart-based bookkeeping. So she's my bookkeeper. Um, again, I did my own bookkeeping on QuickBooks for over a decade. And every few days I would just get in there and I would light my candles, <laughs> nibble on chocolate and play some nice music. And yeah, that may be out there for someone, but for someone else, if they can light a candle and play some music, whatever it is, and nibble on chocolate or have their tea is a way just to help calm them down, set a nice environment, make it a bit sacred, you know, and create a practice around it. And so that's what I did. And then I eventually handed over to Jess about, I don't know, five years ago or so. So that's a bookkeeper. Um, the second is an accountant. An account. Oh, let me back up. A bookkeeping trainer can sit you down and teach you how to do your own bookkeeping. They can set up QuickBooks, let's say, set up a whole chart of accounts. The chart of accounts is just your, um, you know, your your asset, your liability, your income, and your expense categories. They can set up the bones of your bookkeeping system. That's what a chart of accounts is. And they can show you how to navigate and move around a bookkeeping system. And that's what a bookkeeping trainer can do. And not all bookkeepers are good teachers. So you want to make sure that you find someone, you know, who's also a good teacher and is not going to judge you or because it's sensitive stuff to show someone your numbers. It is, you know, but I have, I found great bookkeepers and bookkeeping trainers who are also really good teachers. That's that. Um, then there's the accountants who 
There are many different types and specialties of accountants, but in a nutshell, they do all the tax work for you, help you with tax strategy, um, help you legally figure out how to take the most tax deductions possible um, and what kind of business entity, what kind of business structure you need. Um, I'll stop there because yeah, I can say more, but those are, those are the main, you, you need a bookkeeper and you need an accountant. Um, and you know, you may choose to have to learn your own bookkeeping and do it for by yourself for a while. That's fine. Please get an accountant to help you with taxes. Some people try to do their taxes on their own. Some people succeed, you know, I, you know, people love to study tax code. It changes every year. I want, I want someone who loves this you yeah. know, <laughs> and loves studying this. That's not me. And um, so those are the two main players for business, I would say. And then personal, there's potentially a financial therapist, um, who can help you understand the emotions and psychology and your money story and your patterns. Because, um, you know, I worked with an accountant years ago in the corporate world and she knew how to manage million dollar budgets for other people. She was having such a hard time doing her own money management. And she even went to a financial advisor planner who gave her a clear plan and budget and she still was overspending. And for her, two things needed to happen. One, she needed to understand her money story more. And then two, she needed to rename a lot of her categories based on values, which I could talk about if, if that would be helpful. Um, so there's the financial therapist that helps with more emotion psychology. And then there's the financial coach who they can, some financial coaches just work with personal or couple finances. Some work with businesses. They will get in there. They love day in and day out. They're sitting with your actual numbers, where you're at, your pricing, your business models. Yes, and I love all that stuff. Yes. Yeah, and they'll help you map it out for your business, but they'll also help you do that for personal as well because they're so connected. You need to know what you need for your personal, for that, you know, for that dream and visions and that lifestyle. And you need to really know what the dream and visions and intentions and goals for your business are and how they overlap. And so some financial coaches will get in there um, and can do both, you know. And then lastly, there's a financial planner and advisor who helps more with longer term goals and investments and even insurance. Okay. So that, I mean, that's in a nutshell. Um, the different that is super helpful. Yeah. Thank you. I, we, you kind of touched on it and I wanted to go a little bit deeper. Um, I think as creative people, particularly many of us struggle with when it comes to charging what our services are worth. So for me, it's been a really long process of harmonizing my desire to serve with my desire to grow a sustainable, healthy business. How can we harmonize the two? Okay. So this is something I've been asking for, you know, 17 years, right? Because my background as a therapist is we're not supposed to talk about money. We're not supposed to want money. We're not supposed to strive for money. You know, we're just supposed to somehow do our good work and <laughs> serve. And I don't know, uh, we're all living on on ashrams and, you know, <laughs> but that's not the case. Right. And so this is something I had to grapple with early on, um, was that I, you know, at first it was, I couldn't even buy organic food or really good chocolate or get acupuncture or massage, you know, and I was putting in so many hours. Um, and so that's kind of what led me to how, how do you create right livelihood and how do you price things and create business models and balance those two. Right. And so I have a, one of my articles is there may be eight questions in it. So nothing is so simple for me. It's not like, oh, here's one answer, you know, yeah. and you just do a body check in um, and and get a sense of what feels right. You know, that's one of the eight questions. I love body check ins, as I mentioned at the beginning. I love checking in. Um, if we're talking about an hourly fee, sure, check in and just see what you come up with. But it's not the end of the story and it's not the whole story, right? And I do need to dispel a little bit, charge what you're worth, because we really cannot charge what we're worth. Meaning, you know, 
we're born worthy, unique, valuable, and we could never put a number on our value or our worth, or the amount of money in the bank doesn't determine our true value or true worth, right? So that's gotten mixed up a little bit in in our online world, in coaching and consulting world, and it's always charge what you're worth and charge more and increase your fees. And some years I've decreased my fees, um, but I was able to serve more people. For example, you know, when I started my year-long program, I used to charge for three months about six, $700 for a three-month program. When I opened up my year-long program, I had the sense that it was right to lower the price point on a monthly basis. So I made it $88 a month for 12 months. So even though the year, um, it's $1,050, right, compared to six, $700 for a three-month program, but it was a lower price point on a monthly basis. So it was more accessible. And then if you paid in full, it was $850. So eight fifty for a year long program compared to six seven hundred for a three month program, I lowered my price point, and I went from fifty students to three hundred and twenty students. You know, in that first year, um, there was a big leap, and and where other things like my private financial therapy fee um, is two hundred and fifty dollars, I haven't raised that in years. And I only open up my slots every few years. I, they're not open right now because I'm working on other things. So I think that in these eight questions, one of them is, yes, yeah, do a body check-in. Um, second, who do you want to work with? What community? Do you want to work with only high-end people? Do you want to work with more middle-class folks? Do you want to have an offering for lower-income folks? Is there a way to do a combination of all three? You know, um, Then go to that three-tier. Um, money map. Personally, what do you need, right? Um, are you going for basic needs? Are you going for comfortable? Because certainly what's needed and personal will impact for many of us what's happening in our business, right? Um, it's For me, it's a combination of answering all of those questions and then coming up with a price point and business model that honors time, energy, um, money, family, you know, health, all these things, but it's going to be different every year or let's say every few years or, you know, my business model seemed to last five or six years, but I'm about to go into my seventh year with this business model. So I would say, let's get out that article um, and link to it. And it will take you through a series of questions where you get to ask, you know, who do you want to serve? And, you know, because for me, I, I did in my year-long program want to serve more people. And so by lowering the price point, I was able to do that um, and make it more lucrative. Um, and because it's groups, I get to leverage time and energy. So I think it's all about, uh, you, know, what phase, you know, what phase of life. When in my 30s, I had a lot more energy. <laughs> Not, I could work 40, 50, 60 hours, you know, because I loved it and wanted to. Now in my 40s and having a young child, it's been very, very different. So I've had to um, be, be very different with my pricing and business models, but also I had all this history and the years of foundation of my business behind me where then I could take a leap like I did in that year-long program I probably couldn't have done that at the very beginning and I wasn't ready. I had it matured. The community had it matured. So um, charging and pricing things is a much bigger conversation than charging what we're worth um, because you can't put a number on that. So it's answering about seven or eight questions of who you want to serve, how much of experience you've had. Um, do you want to work in groups? Do you want to work privately? you know, and so on. How can you give your offerings? And for me, it's always been important that I have a low-end price point. So now I have my book um, and that can reach so many more people than my year-long program. Definitely. You know? Yeah, yeah so having that staggered approach so that you can provide value to someone wherever they're at at that moment in time. Yes. But, it, you know, as you're saying, it's it's then I have my free content that can serve even more people. And I've always loved free content. And, but I think it takes time and maturity um, for business and for the person who's running the business to figure out their offerings um, and get to a place where they can be 
as generous as possible with their content and their work and price it in a way that serves more people. But that's what, those are the combination of, of, of values that I've been looking at. You know, there, there are other people who charge way more for a year long program than I do or charge $2,000, let's say for a three month program, you know? So again, it's who do we want to serve? Um, and how can we serve more people and how can it be lucrative as well and honoring of that money map and lifestyle that you want to be living at this time, you know? Oh, love that. And is there any advice that you have on how to decide how much to pay for yourself, particularly for people who have an LLC and are not sole trainers? Because I think, again, that's something that a lot of people listening will be struggling with that even now that their business has the ability to, to pay them a salary. It's like, no, put it back into the business because they're afraid of that, you know, in that scarcity scarcity mindset that, you know, I don't know when the next time that I'm going to have that money. So they won't pay themselves. How do we decide when our business is ready um, for us to take a salary? And how then do we decide kind of when our business can withstand us taking incremental increases? Yeah, you know, I'm not, I don't, I can tell you how I do it and then recommend Profit First, even though I haven't read the book, but I everyone, love that book. Okay, yes. everyone that I know loves <laughs> it and I know there are great strategies in there to pay yourself quickly and, you know, and to get to that place. And, um, you know, I'm not a, a business coach or business consultant, even though <laughs> I've been doing this for 17 years and I love talking about creative entrepreneurship. But with me, I've just, you know, I watch my numbers closely. I read the reports monthly. Um, I know the animal at this point, you know, in this business model, I'm going into my seventh year. So I know on average how much comes in each month. Um, and, and, and we send money over more often. It's like, there's cash flow. I move it over, you know? Yeah. And it's probably not the best approach, but that's how me and my husband and our two businesses plus our family finances has always worked. Instead of every Friday, I pay myself this amount. I'm more of, I'm checking the balances every few days and, you know, weekly I am sending over money, but it's not on a set rigid schedule. Um, when I did have a business partner and a team of bookkeeping coaches excuse me, bookkeeping trainers and financial coaches under my umbrella. Um, when, and that business model went on for three and a half years before I had my son, we paid each, you know, we paid ourselves religiously. It was weekly or every two weeks and it was a certain amount. And that's how I was doing it when I had a business partner. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I think it's just been different depending on when. how many yeah, what the business model is and all of that. But, you know, I think it's it's real that for most of us, it takes three to five years to hit sustainable income. Um, I, As I said, I, I kept my bookkeeping clients because they were my bread and butter. And um, I could, you know, I had extra income at the beginning. I had cash flow where some businesses, it takes a while you know, depending on what the model is to be getting cash flow. And for me, from the beginning, I always was doing income producing things. And then I was growing the business very slowly based on how much income was coming in. Or I did a lot of trade at the beginning for things that I didn't have cash flow because the community I lived in 18 years ago did a lot of trade. Um, and then I've just been more cautious. It doesn't mean that. I didn't take a credit line out in the seventh year of my business. I did. Or, you know, that I didn't go to 0% credit card, as I mentioned for my book. I did. That's now paid off. Um, you know, I've, I've, and have I made mistakes? Yeah. <laughs> so I think year three, um, I signed up for a big training that was $7,000. It was a lot of money, you know, at the time, 7500 And the only thing I learned in that training was what I would never do. Um, and then after that, I was extremely cautious about what kind of business training I would pay for and when, and you know, how quickly I had to pay it back or I needed to have the cash flow for it on hand. So, um, I've been very cautious about 
how I've built things along the way and definitely taken some leaps and risks too. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Barry. You've given so given me so much food for thought and I'm sure everybody listening too. Where can people get more of this kind of wisdom from you, connect with you, find out more about your program? So everyone can find me at my website that my husband crafted for me, which I love. It's at barrytesler.com and that's B-A-R-I-T-E-S-S-L-E-R. You can join my community and get a little seven day mini art of money course. It's an email class, you know, an email course. I have a podcast, um, great articles. And then every year we open up my year long program. We do an early bird round in October and we, it, 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 it um, comes out with my money mocha series. And then in January we open again with my money memoir interview series and you can also find about find out about my book, The Art of Money, as well. I'm there, and I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Those are my favorite social media channels. Fantastic. We'll add it to the show notes. Thanks again, Barry. Thank you. So that's it for this week's episode of the Lifestyle Edit Podcast. You can download more episodes of the show and subscribe in Apple Podcasts or iTunes. If you enjoyed what you heard, we would love a review or recommendation. It's the number one way for us to share these stories and insights with as many creative female entrepreneurs as possible. And don't forget, all of the information on how to join the TLE community is in the show notes or simply head to thelifestyleedit.com to sign up.